Hi, this is Lynn. I am in Coney Island right now at the bottom of the Cyclone Wooden Roller Coasters, one of the famous roller coasters here, and I thought it'd be a cool place to take pictures. Why? Because this... is the Shutterbug Life. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Shutterbug Life podcast. This is Linford Morton. And of course, you can call me Lynn. I'm the host and this is the podcast for all of us enthusiasts, people who love photography and who eat, sleep and breathe the stuff I like to say. Anyway, I'm glad you are with me again to begin your week with the Shutterbug Life. Now, <clears throat> A couple this week we have uh, I've got a, a topic, but before I get into it, I just want to set it up, if you will. I had a couple shooting experiences in the past couple of weeks that just sort of reinforced for me the importance of mastering the basic principles of photography. And you, you know, so we're out shooting, and it's it's um. You can have a situation where someone might take a photograph and think to themselves, ah, oh, this image where my subject is is just a little too dark. And when I say master, it's like, okay, what do we need to do to fix it? So there's a, the diagnosing of what it, you need to do to fix it. Then there's the translating that to, okay, how do I do that with my camera, what settings do I need to adjust? And then there's the finding it on your specific camera and being able to do that quickly enough that you can make a quick adjustment and just get right back to what you're doing. Now, you know, we take a lot, a lot of times we take it it for granted that we know some basic things like, you know, how to shoot in manual mode, how to do this, how to do that and the other. But then when we uh, are out shooting and stuff is coming at us quickly, Sometimes, um, you know, it might, we might forget things. And so today I want to talk about um, learning the features of your camera and, you know, where do you find the features you need most? Say you're out shooting night photography and you can't see your camera. Can you get to the adjustments you need to, to get to without being able to see? Or if suddenly your you know your 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 dog or or a friend or 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 a child or someone you're with had this has this great expression the light just falls perfectly on them you know how quickly can you yank that camera out of the bag or wherever you have it and get it set up and take a great shot so i i want to talk about 
that. And so the topic is learn these camera features if you're serious about your photography. Learn these camera features if you are serious about your photography. Now, if, you know, that's sort of a setup, right? Because if you're, if, you're if you're not serious, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. And so I'm assuming you are. And I'm assuming that we're all on, on this uh, sort of journey to, to go from good to great. And, uh, and I know that um, in, in shooting we can have sort of a, a Pareto principle effect. Now, many of you might know Pareto's, the Pareto principle. Pareto was the, the Italian economist, and he, he's, he, he's known for what's called the 80-20 rule, the law of the vital few. And, and it says that for many events, roughly 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. And, and so what I'm proposing is that as you shoot and you, you for many of us on digital cameras and digital DSLRs, there are hundreds of buttons and, and menu items in your, in your camera. And there's so many, you know, there's so many options, almost more than a Starbucks menu for crying out loud. And, and I'm going to suggest that only for about 16 of these settings, which is what we'll talk about today, for about 16 of these settings, you will use it for more than 80% of what you shoot. And this 16 are relatively, you know, few number based on um, the total of what you might be able to, to do when you start mixing and matching and uh, combining things. Okay. So this is a Pareto principle says, you know, of these few, you will do more than 80% of what you do. And so for these few, you ought to know them pretty well. You ought to learn them and you ought to master them. And so that's what we'll talk about today when I say, when you are shooting, if you're serious, you've got to learn and master these camera features. And we'll talk about them next. All right, so this is, uh, a, a, I guess, a version of a class I taught about a year or so ago, and it was called Learn Your Nikon, and I did another one called Learn Your Canon DSLR. So I did one for both of the major um, the major camera manufacturers, DSLR camera manufacturers, and I, I think that, that covers a wide enough range of the market, but I, I'm, I'm going to extract from that, because those are, were specific to each of those uh, manufacturers platforms and and if if you all want visuals and if you're on a Nikon or Canon then go to the show notes for this episode and I'll have those slides there and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about if if I mention something that just doesn't make sense to you okay so let's talk about the 16 features and this is this is going to be a combination of features and the camera buttons and menu um, selections, right? And if, if you learn and master these, you should be able to get yourself through just about any photography situation, at least 80% of them. And then the other 20%, now you're getting really, you're getting into much more sophisticated and technical stuff. But with this foundation, it should still be easy for you to do. So let's start. Let's start with the easy one first, the shooting mode. You ought to know what that is. And for many of you and us, it will be 
the what you see called PASM on your camera for Nikons and for uh, Canon shooters and some other brands, you'll see PTVAVM, right? So you know where that is. And, and basically that is where you change your shooting modes. You know, many people use uh, that mode to start an automatic and then they, you leapfrog and go straight to manual mode because, you know, lots of people, you know, tell you, you have to be able to shoot in manual mode or you're not really not doing any, you know, you know, you're not, you're not a true photographer, but if you'll notice there, there are four modes there. And so I think like, like any creative, you have tools available to you and the key is to know which tool to use when you don't, always need to use manual mode in fact there's some times when it might make you crazy if if uh, let's say if you are in a situation where the lights change rapidly and you have to keep shooting you can if you're really good keep adjusting but sometimes if you're say watching playing a shooting a game or something like that it might be faster for you just to go to one of the priority modes and so Really quickly, you know that in automatic mode, the camera makes all the decisions for you. In program mode, the camera makes the decisions for you, but you can override them. And then in shutter priority, you decide the shutter speed, how fast you want the shutter to open and close, and the camera will choose the rest. In aperture priority, you choose the aperture, right? And the camera chooses the shutter speed. And in manual, of course, you control both. And then easy decision tree I use is you ask, is my subject moving? If the answer is yes, then you start thinking shutter speed first, meaning if you are shooting in a priority mode, you'll use shutter priority. And if your subject, if the answer is no, then you'll start with the aperture first and you will, you will say, well, if nothing is moving and the shutter speed is what I use to show motion or movement, then that's not very useful for me because it's not moving. And so you'll go with aperture priority. And you can use this decision tree even if you're shooting in manual mode as well because you'll want to be... Um, you'll want to, even in manual mode, decide which of the two you want to use creatively um, to great effect. There's nothing worse than knowing someone is using manual mode and just making it an, an elegant form of, of, of automatic because they just shove, you know, they just move both until they're both in the center and they're not creating anything. So I have a, I did a, a um, slide share that talks about this concept in much greater detail. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes because, you know, if you, if this is sort of something that's got you puzzled, you ought to take a look at that and, and that might be helpful for you. So that's number one. You're, you got, you got to know the shooting modes and you have to be able to know which one to use when and move quickly. The second is, and, you know, we're following in, in no particular order, on on the Nikon and Canons, this is on your lens, and in some and some manufacturers put this on the body of the camera. And this is your vibration reduction, your image stabilizer, your Im- image optimization, and depending on the brand, you'll see one of those. And this is what's used to correct for a potential camera shake. So if you turn that, you'll see that button there, and it'll there'll be an on and an off. And most times, you'll see it on your lens for those. Um, you know, Nikon and Canon shooters. 
and if it's turned on, then what the what the camera does is when you have when you're shooting and you're depressing the shutter and moving the camera, and let's say you are uh, shooting at you know one fiftieth of a second, and you are shooting on a two hundred millimeter uh, fo- um, uh, your your focal length is two hundred millimeters now. When it's that long and you de- and you depress the shutter, the longer your your focal length is, the more susceptible the camera will be to camera shake. Right, the more it uh, it will start to show up. And so you typically need a faster shutter speed. But if you can't get that, then your vibration reduction or image stabilizer will kick in and try to at least override and stabilize that just a bit. Okay, and so if you know that the rule of thumb is for the 35 millimeters, you want to have a shutter speed that is the fraction is equal to your focal length or faster. Meaning, if you're shooting on a 50 millimeter, um, if your lens is 50 millimeters, then you want to shoot at one over 50th of a second or faster. Meaning the number can go larger. And if you are, for instance, shooting on a 200 millimeter, then you want to have it at one 200th of a second or faster. So your vibration reduction or IS you will use if that number falls below it. So you're shooting at a 200 millimeter um, focal length and now you are you are finding that you have to shoot at one over 100 then your vibration reduction image stabilizer image optimization works to help stabilize that just a bit all right third iso and of course we know this is film speed those of us who shot film and even the new even the people who started on digital you get it this is what the iso was it stands for the um, it stands for how fast or how sensitive the camera uh, sensor or film would be to light. And with the lower numbers, you need a lot of light generally. And with the higher numbers, you need less light. And so uh, typically, we will use the lower numbers on a bright sunny day. And as it gets darker and darker, we take the numbers higher, 100, 200, 400, 800. And the other thing is, as you go higher, you, you allow the shutter speed to get faster as, as a result. So if you need fast shutter speeds, that's another instance where we will take it higher. Okay, so you've got to know how to find your ISO and be able to adjust that quickly. Now, the fourth thing is, assuming you know all this already, and many of you do, you're like, oh, yawn. We know all this already, Lynn. Well, how about this? The camera, um, you'll need something called exposure compensation, meaning sometimes you'll take a photograph and it will just look dark and and of course, this is because the camera can't see the full range of bright to dark your eyes sees. And so when you are taking a photograph and the camera reads all the bright and all the dark and decides, oh, this is a bright picture and exposes for the bright. And the brightest happens to be of the sky behind the person you're taking a portrait of. And now they are in the shadow and they look like they've become a silhouette. And so one way to fix it is to brighten the whole frame uniformly. And you can use this 
called with uh, with what your button called exposure compensation. And for many of your cameras, you will see a plus minus button. And so you'll ha- you'll push and hold the plus minus button down. And while you're holding it, you'll scroll that command dial and you scroll it. And either you'll see that number is going up, 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 up or down, 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 down. And if it goes up, 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 you'll see that as you take the next picture, you'll see it getting brighter and brighter as you keep going up. And as you, if you go the other way into the minus territory, the image gets darker. All right. So you, you've got to learn and master exposure compensation because that alone will help get you through, you know, a lot of sticky situations and help you to shoot quickly. You've got to understand the metering mode. That's another way you'll have to fix and respond to uh, lighting situations. Many of you will have uh, uh, your meeting, your metering mode uh, where you it defaults to a matrix uh, mode where it reads an average of averages of the entire frame. And so it takes the entire frame and says, I'll, you know, I'll add up everything and then take an average on whatever that is. That's where the exposure should be. And let's say we, we took 10 by 10 squares. And so there were 100 squares of your image. And I'm just throwing out a number just to be round. And the camera says, well, 60 of these squares are very bright and 40 are very dark. So this must be a bright picture. And in a lot of cases, that that works. But if your subject is in the 40 that happens to be dark, then then you have a problem. So you have to understand it. And then that's where your exposure compensation will come in. And you'll just brighten it up. Another way to fix it is to change that metering mode to spot and just say, you know, I'm just going to measure just just the point where I'm focusing. And that'll be it. Okay, so you want to find your where your metering modes are. And some some cameras will have a button where you'll see something that looks like, uh, oh, like you have uh, not just sort of quite a tic-tac-toe, but you'll see some squares filled in and the sort of a circle. But uh, you'll see if you go to the um, the slides I have attached, you'll see an example of what a the metering mode button will look like. Okay. And then there's a one button called an exposure lock. And on on on, on your Canons, you'll usually it's usually like on the far right um of the camera, you'll see something that looks like an asterisk. And if you push that button in and you hold it, the exposure of the camera reads, as long as you're holding that in, you can recompose now and it won't it won't continue changing. So almost like you're in manual mode, right? So you move around the camera holds until you release it. At least that's how the default works. And if you are on an icon, you have the same thing with the AELAFL button. You push that in and as long as you're holding it in its default setting, the camera will hold that exposure setting. So you, you have to learn how to use that or when to use that. You know, number seven, you want to learn about your white balance presets. Okay. Now the white balance presets, of course, is, you know, white balance is your camera reading and interpreting the temper, the color temperature of light and all light has, you know, is registered in different color temperatures, which your camera shows on the Kelvin scale and, 
and you have about six presets on your camera, one for sunny, cloudy, shade, um, tungsten, fluorescent, uh, flash, and any of those, you, if you're in any of those uh, lighting situations, you'll just, you, you know, you'll choose the preset to match it. And then there's one for custom. And if you, none of those match it quite right, then what you'll do is um, find a, a, something that's pure white, like a white card, or you can even use an 18% gray card, fill the frame with it, and then take a reference shot. Now, with this reference shot, you're basically telling the camera this is what white looks like under this lighting condition. And based on that, the camera can then figure out what the other colors should look like and mix it for you. Now, if you're shooting it raw, then you, you might not even worry about this because the camera is not going to hold most of that for and you can fix that later. But if you're shooting in JPEG mode, then this is something you'll want to pay attention to. Okay. Number eight is your autofocus area modes. And, and by that, I mean, you know, some cameras, you know, used to have three points where they'd autofocus and then they went to nine and then 11 and then 51 and then they're crossed. They're just all kinds. But basically, these are the little points you see when you look through your viewfinder where the auto where you can um, where there's an autofocus point that you can use to lock in on your subject. Okay. Now, here's the thing about this. And many of your cameras will give you the option to let the camera decide for that, to decide you know, which, which autofocus point to use or autofocus area mode. And so you'll see an auto area autofocus selection. And for many of them, it's just a, a, a box where it's all uh, colored in. It's all solid. And and in that mode, the camera will, say, will will decide. I think this should be the subject, and it will activate that autofocus point and focus on that for you. And if it's right, then great. But if it's not, well. So just imagine you're trying to shoot through a fence at something happening on the other side of the fence. The camera will see the fence and assume that's what you should be shooting at because it's closest and prominent, and you want to shoot past that. And so you can turn that off and turn it to um, one of the one of the options where you can either choose a single point or maybe a cluster of points, but you can move it and decide where that little button, that light will come on and light up and say, this is what I want to focus on camera and point it out for your camera specifically. Okay. And then the other thing is the autofocus modes. So you have a few modes and I have another article about this one too, that I will link to an autofocus modes. There's one for if the, if your subject isn't moving, Canon calls it one shot and Nikon calls it AFS for AF single shot. And in that the camera, your subject has to be at a standstill. And when you depress the shutter slightly, it locks in it when it finds the subject it, you'll hear it go beep or the green light in your viewfinder will go solid and it goes ah this is where my subject is and then as long as you're holding that down it locks that in you can recompose you know left to right if you need to up or down and know that that will still be locked in focus and then there's one for something that's moving continuously and that's continuous focus ai servo for canon users afc for Nikons, Nikonians. And in that mode, let's say you are photographing someone who's riding a bicycle toward you when you 
clues place the autofocus point on them as they continue riding toward you, the autofocus will continue focusing and changing with them as they move toward you and actually calculate where they will be by the time you finish pushing the shutter so that they're always in focus. So this is for continuous modes, right? And then, then there's the other one that you will see, which is a hybrid AF Auto or AFA for Nikonians. And this is a sort of a hybrid of the two. It locks in on a, on a stationary subject, but if that subject starts to move, then it releases and continues to follow them. Okay. So you want to find these autofocus area modes and, and sort of set them based on what you're doing. You're shooting portraits. You're going to want the one shot or the single or the AFS modes because it's not moving. And if you're shooting something that's active, then you're looking at the continuous or the AI servo modes. Okay. Now the quality, you'll want to know that because this is, you know, again, how many, what kind of resolution do you want to get out of your images? And this is one of the things you can set up and not mess around with much after you do that, you'll decide if you want to shoot JPEG, which compresses the file so that you have a manageable size file. And even with the compression, you can decide how much you want to compress it. JPEG can be uh, small JPEG or medium size or the large one where you have more information. And then RAW is just it holds all the data there and there's no compression at all. It's just information and you're going to have to convert it to actually see it and start using it. But uh, if you if you plan to do a lot of editing, then this file makes sure you have as much information as possible to do that. Okay. Now, you have um, picture controls for number 11. And you'll see this, uh, you know, it'll be like, do you want vivid or do you want uh, portrait or black and white or or just natural or, you know, all these combinations of the hue and saturation and sharpening that the camera will automatically put in for you, depending on the look you're going for. If you want to make the colors really pop, you'll choose vivid. If you're doing portraits, you want uh, to render better skin tones, you'll choose the portrait mode. But, you know, for the most part, we try and shoot it fairly close to neutral and make those changes ourselves after because I think you'll get better results that way. Okay. But it's good to know because sometimes I use it just uh, to shoot uh, in monochrome or black and white. If I want to go shoot in black and white, I will do a JPEG plus raw. And so that on my LCD screen, I'll see as I'm shooting, I'll see the images in black and white, but I'll still have color versions saved um, that I can use if I need to um, get some, you know, the original uh, later, but at least I'll shoot and see the black and white and still have that, that, that effect as I'm shooting. So, so there you go. Um, so then you can picture controls, release modes. Uh, you can, this is if you want to have a single shot, you depress the shutter and hold it down. It only takes one picture or you can have it a sort of a continuous and usually you'll see like a one square for this. And then you'll see one looks like a deck of cards. And in that mode, when you, when you're shooting sports and you hold and hold your shutter down, it'll fire off like whatever, like three, five shots, 10 per second, whatever your camera can do. And this is one where you go. So, and this in the release mode, this is what you are looking for. 
The self-timer is what we used to use back in the old days to take selfies. We'd hit the timer and it'd count, have it count down from 10 seconds and it'd give us enough time to run and jump in front of the camera and then let it take a photograph of us. Now this is, you know, pretty much used for if you're shooting on a tripod and you don't have a cable release or a remote control, you'll use that, the self-timer button. And, and for many of your cameras, you'll see either self-timer on the for a lot of cannons will be on the back uh, around that little circular dial. You should, might be able to go to the left and and come up with that or you find it in the menu item somewhere, but you're looking for self timers and self timers will let you in many cameras choose between two, five and 10 seconds, or you can choose the specific amount. And then when you do that, when you press the shutter, the camera will count down one, two, and then take the picture. And this is helpful if you're shooting on a tripod. And so you want to make sure that, when you're shooting, you're not touching the camera and potentially, in, you know, creating camera shake. And so you'll say, okay, I'll make it five, two seconds is usually good enough for, you know, if you, if you're shooting on a tripod and it's relatively stable, then two seconds is good enough. If you are, you know, having to have the center column extended up too high, very high, or you're in a place that, you know, it might be shaky or windy, and your camera might need more than two seconds to, to, to settle down after you've depressed the shutter, then, of course, you'll go to five or ten, but you'll find that that'll find, it'll feel like a very long time. Um, so that's self timers. And then the color space is the RGB and our, in, you know, this kind of, this is one of those things you don't have to really mess with much, but just make sure that your camera setting is the same as your, the software you use to edit. So if you're shooting in, um, in, you know, one space, you want to make sure that it's also the same thing in Photoshop or Lightroom so that you're getting the same, um, rendering. And then bracketing is the other, is the other thing we used to use a lot when we were shooting film. And it, it's, I used to call it, I call it just an, an elegant CYA move because, you know, you didn't see, you didn't get any instant feedback when you shot. So you didn't know if the exposure was quite right or not when you shot in film or even when you do still shoot in film. And so bracketing says I'll shoot what I think is right and then I'll shoot an exposure above it and I'll shoot an exposure below it so I'll shoot one right one dark one bright and then I'll have all three of those and when I get into the dark room I will see which which one is closest and choose that one and pretend that that was the one I shot all along so now these uh, cameras will have the bracketing built in so that you can hit it you can set it and say you know, set it to move in one exposure increments. And as you take the next three pictures, then it will make the adjustments for you. You know, exposure neutral, plus one, brighter one stop, or minus one, darker one stop. So it will go through those, um, that progression for you as you take the next three images in bracketing mode. Uh, people who shoot high dynamic range, where they get all three of those and combine them in software into one image, will often use bracketing to make that happen. Just think of a diopter number, number, oh, 16. Where are we at the end already? Yay. Number 16, this thing called a diopter. And, and I point it out because it's, it's right at the eyepiece in many of our um, DSLRs. And you'll see this little round 
this little round knob that you can scroll. And it's really something that it, it sort of moves the eyepiece back. And, and, and what you'll do is you'll look through it when you first get the camera and you'll sort of autofocus on a point. If it still looks like it's not quite sharp, then you will scroll this because it's almost like you're calibrating your eyepiece for your eye. And then when, he, when it looks like it's sharp, at that point, then you'll leave it alone and you should never have to touch it again um, unless somehow it comes, it, it moves uh, by accident. But it's just to make sure the eyepiece is showing your image as sharp as possible. And it's right next to the eyepiece on the right. You're going to scroll that back and forth when you know the camera should be showing you something sharply in focus until it then becomes sharply in focus and then you'll never touch it again. So that's the, the diopter. So. So, you know, I, I skipped through the E16 of these. And, I, and again, these are, we're, we're, as we said before, these are basics, sort of, right? Because it, it, it's in the basics that you get the freedom to be creative. Because if you understand and know how to move and operate in all 16 of these features and know when to use them and how to use them, you'll find that you will begin to... Um, master your camera in a way that you will um, really uh, be more efficient when you're out shooting. Now, these are the 16 I think are the most important on your camera. I'm interested in hearing from from any of you. Uh, did I miss anything? Is there anything that you think is that I didn't mention that is uh, one of those uh, that should be on this 80-20 list of things that are uh, one of the few things you need to know because you'll use it often enough that it will make a difference in your photography. I know you need to, I know you should ultimately you should know everything, but you, everything doesn't have the same level of importance. And I guess that's part of my premise here. All right. Now, again, I'm going to, I'm reminding you that if you, if you heard this and I went through them, you know, fairly quickly, cause I'm assuming that you have some familiarity with all of these, um, uh, these, uh, features already, but if this is all new to you, then we might back up and, and, and you'll, you'll be able to learn more about this if you take just a basic photography course. But if I said something that you go, I'm not quite sure what that is or where, what, what that looks like, then, of course, go to the show notes and that you go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash podcast. And if you put in episode 24, you should find it. If not, just use the bit.ly link, bit.ly forward slash shutterbuglife zero two four and that should take you right to this episode and you should be able to pull up the slides um for your platform at, or at least see what the image looks like for these and then um, of course i'll have links to some of the other um i talked about some of the other posts i have on some of these topics that might be helpful for you if uh if you're still confused all right so that's it. That's, um, you know, learn these features if you are serious about your photography. And I'd be interested in hearing, you know, where, where you thought you measured up as well. You can leave any of these in the comments. I, a lot of you guys, I always say, leave it in the comments. And, and I get I get emails back from a good number of you guys. And I'm still going to, you know, gently encourage you rather than emailing me to just to to just drop it into the comments because you know, the things you share with me in email, I think 
can be helpful to other other listeners as well. And so while I appreciate the email, other people might be also able to benefit from it if you just share it with them as well. All right. So thanks much. And that's it for that part of the episode. Thank you so much for listening for this ep- to this episode and uh, being a part of the Shutterbug Life community. Hey, I just want to, again, remind you that you can, if you're listening to this, you can listen to it on, on iTunes and uh, on the iTunes podcasts uh, network and as well as the Stitcher. And if you want to find it on iTunes, just go to itunes.shutterbuglife.com and that'll take you straight there. And then you can also search for it on on Stitcher as well and find us there. If you want to subscribe and and make sure that you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes, We've got some interesting topics coming down the pike as well and some some more cool interviews as well as some things that I'd like to share myself. So I'm going to encourage you to to subscribe if you haven't done so already. So if you want to subscribe, you can also do that on the website by going to shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe. And there you can, you know, add your information in and then you'll get um, notified whenever a new episode comes out as well as anything else. Like, you know, this weekend, you probably didn't know, but on Friday or Saturday, if you missed it, I I did. I recorded and I published an Ask Lynn segment on composition. And so um, you'll know about that because I'll send out that that'll be included in the email I send out. So you don't want to miss anything. And then if you are on Facebook, a lot of our listeners, we, 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 we share a Facebook group with the, with our meetup, Shutterbug Excursions with our meetup group, Shutterbug Excursions. And so I invite you to join there and share your images along the way and anything you might be experiencing photography wise. Um, then finally, if you are in the Washington DC area, I'm going to invite you to come shoot with us in our meetup group. I'm leading one next month to the, um, a butterfly exhibit called wings of fancy. And I think that's going to be fun to go photograph butterflies up close. And then the next day, I haven't put this one on the the calendar yet, but I'm planning on doing one to the sunflower fields out in Maryland. And so uh, that should be a lot of fun too. I teach and we had a great fun on, on our night photography class last week. I've got a, this summer I'm doing a photo camp. So if you know of any teens who, uh, are, have the photography bug and want to learn, then that photocampdc.com is a good, a good one. And then I have some other things coming down the pike that are going to be a lot, lot more fun. And I'll tell you about that coming up. Okay. So that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to, uh, you know, you have a great week and you go out and you photograph something really incredible and then I'll meet you again next weekend. We'll start the week with us here in the Shutterbug Life podcast. I'm Lynn. Thanks so much for joining us. You have a great week. Take care. Mm-hmm.